Mark chapter 5, verses 21 <clears throat> to 43. I've got a tickly throat if I cough. Um, I apologize in advance. Okay, let me read this for us. It's a bit of a long uh, passage, but verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? <clears throat> but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. <coughs> and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. This is the word of God. Amen. Um, thank you, Pastor Paul. Can everyone hear me? Can I get a thumbs up? Cool. Um, hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. If you are here for the first time, welcome. And uh, if you're here for the first time in a long time, welcome back. It's good to see you guys. Uh, yeah, my name is Peter, and I'll be sharing with you guys from the word of God today. Um, as Pastor Paul said, we have been in the book of Mark for a few weeks, and this is just a continuation of that series. So if you have missed some of our earlier sermons, I encourage you guys to go and check out, uh, check them out on our podcast and have a listen. I'm going to pray for us and ask God for help, and then we're going to start. So why don't you guys pray with me? Okay. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to sit under your word and to be reminded of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would speak through me today, and I pray that you would show us all the hope that can be found in Christ again, and that that would be a deep comfort uh, to all of us as we listen. Transform our hearts, instill a greater faith in us, and remind us of the great gospel hope we have in Jesus Christ again today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. 
All right, so today uh, what I want to do is I want to just take us through the entire story first and paint a broad picture of what we just read. It's a long passage, and so I thought this might be an easier way just to paint a picture of what we've just read. And then we'll pause and consider some of the lessons that we can draw from this text, and then we'll end with some application together. So that's the roadmap, and I do encourage you guys, because I, I don't have slides today, uh, I do encourage you guys to have your Bibles open and follow along in the story as I as zip through the story right now. So our story uh, today begins, uh, much like many of the previous passages so far, Jesus arrives to a place, and in verse 21, we see that a great crowd gathers or swarms around him. And we've seen this uh, happen a lot now, right? Wherever Jesus goes, a large crowd gathering around him. And if we haven't figured it out by now, uh, Jesus is quite famous at this point. Um, he's been, people have been hearing about all the crazy things he's been doing in the different places, healing people, casting out demons. And just all these kind of indescribable things. And so now wherever he goes, he's swarmed by people who come to him asking for help. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the picture that I get is like the image of like panic buying. People swarming to get what they think uh, they need before it runs out. Uh, and what they need, they believe Jesus can give them. Usually healing or some sort of miracle. And so likely this, these crowds, or this crowd would have been filled with sick, hurting, and desperate people. And of those people in our passage today, we are introduced to two. The first man is named Jairus. Uh, in verse 22, it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, this is Jesus, he fell at his feet. So Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish place of worship. This meant that Jairus was not an ordinary man. Uh, he was extremely high up in social status. Uh, he was likely very wealthy or at least well off in financial status. And he was greatly respected. And we see in this verse, Jairus, a respected man, uh, running to Jesus and falling at his feet, which was unusual. And the reason for it was, it's actually quite heartbreaking. Verse 23, it says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Now notice uh, Jairus doesn't say, hey, my daughter's sick. Can you come heal her? No, he says, my daughter is at the point of death, on her deathbed. She's in her, she's in a, on, on a fi in her final moments. Um, Jairus has probably tried everything already. He's well off. He's probably spoken to or hired the best doctors, paid all the money in the world to get the best treatment, and it hasn't worked. And so Jairus has lost all hope, right? And now as his final hope, we see here Jairus is asking Jesus for help. A miracle. Now, I'm not a parent, but it's not hard to imagine how heartbreaking it must be to see your own daughter sick and fighting for her life. I just want us to see that Jairus here is, uh, is, is desperate. He's hurting, and Jesus was his last hope. And graciously, Jesus agrees to go with him. And the story continues. As Jesus and Jairus are on their way to see the daughter, we are introduced to our second character in this crowd. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, this second character doesn't even have a name in this passage. Uh, and, and that's quite symbolic of her status in this world. She's just called the woman. We learn here that she has, had, she has a condition that causes her to discharge blood. And the verse tells us that she has been suffering with this ceaseless bleeding for 12 years. Uh, we also learn that she has spent all her money trying to get this fixed. But rather, it, it, it's made her worse. And what we don't see here... Um, is the social and emotional rejection that she would have faced because of her condition for 12 years. If you read Leviticus 15, where the Jewish laws are outlined, there is a section on women who bleed. 
And long story short, they are deemed unclean and are not permitted to be touched or to touch anyone or else whoever they touch becomes unclean as well. Um, and this woman has been bleeding ceaselessly for 12 years. And so uh, as far as the law was concerned, this woman was constantly unclean. So imagine her life. Uh, she's suffering physical pain and discomfort. Uh, she's come to financial bankruptcy and she lives as a social outcast, rejected and branded as a dirty person that everyone tries to avoid. This woman has no name in our story because she really is a nobody in this world. But like Jairus, we see her in our passage. She comes to Jesus desperate as her last hope. And like Jairus, she's heard some things about Jesus. And so she comes believing. Uh, and she, says, she says in verse 28, if I touch even his garments, garments, I will be made well. So that's what she does. She comes, she pushes through the crowd and she touches Jesus' garments. And incredibly, verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This woman was instantly healed. Imagine that. 12 years of endless suffering, discomfort and pain. 12 years of wondering, when will this be over? 12 years of being deemed unclean and with one touch, she is made clean. The pain is gone. Incredible, right? What no physician could do for her, Jesus did. Now, after she's healed, the Bible says that Jesus notices the power has gone out from him. So he yells out, hey, who touched my garments? Right. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There are so many people here. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's grabbing you. What are you talking about? But feeling guilty. Remember, by law, she was not allowed to touch anyone if she was bleeding. So feeling guilty, she, the woman comes forward with fear and trembling, the Bible says. And she tells him what he did, what she did. And I love this. This is why Jesus wanted to know who it was that touched his garments. So he could say this, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Like a proud father, Jesus just wanted to see the woman face to face, commend her for her faith and affirm her to enjoy her newfound peace. I think that's so beautiful. It just shows you the character of Jesus, that he really cares. And I love that. And meanwhile, imagine Jairus in this picture, right? He's dying inside, right? He's like, it's a, it's a beautiful moment happening over here. And he's like over here thinking, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, right? Like his daughter is dying. And it's at that point that tragically, uh, one of Jairus's people come running with the news. Uh, hey Jairus, I'm so sorry, your daughter is dead. And now imagine Jairus's heart at this point. Uh, it's probably dropped to the ground. It's all over, right? It's all finished. But Jesus says, do not fear, just believe. It's not over yet. And so Jesus continues to go to Jairus's house. And when he arrives, the Bible says that there are, there are people weeping and wailing loudly. Now it's helpful to know that culturally, back in these times, when someone died, you would hire professional weepers and wailers to come to your house and mourn the death. It was like part of the funeral process. It's helpful to know this because this shows us that as far as Jairus is concerned, his daughter was now dead. It was over and they had begun the funeral process already. Jairus believed that Jesus could help if, if his daughter was alive. But now that she's dead, there was nothing that even Jesus could do. Jairus was kind of succumbing to the circumstances. But to the people's amusement, Jesus says to them, why are you crying? 
This child is not dead, but sleeping. In other words, no, it's not over. And even though everyone was laughing at Jesus, he goes over to the little girl, takes her by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And verse 42, immediately, he says, the girl got up and began walking. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, which is crazy. All hope seemed, all hope seemed lost, but Jesus, he proves again his power and authority as he restores this little girl's life, doing what no physician could do for Jairus. And then I love verse 43. Jesus goes, can you guys get her something to eat, please? She's probably hungry. And that's the story. And there's so much that can be said about this passage, but I just want to draw two lessons from this text today for us. And the first is this. As citizens of this sinful and broken world, we will all experience different forms of tragedy in our lives. I'll say that again. As citizens of this sinful and broken world, we will all experience different forms of tragedy in our lives. Friends, it is no secret that the world we live in is imperfect. No one would argue that, right? But whilst we don't struggle to accept that the world we live in is broken, there is some naive part of us that doesn't expect that brokenness to ever seep into my life, into my situation, my circumstances, and my experiences. And so when it does, whether it's in the form of family struggles, health struggles, financial struggles, spiritual struggles, people struggles, emotional or mental struggles, we are caught always by surprise. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that suffering is God's plan for us. No. But as long as we live in this broken world, corrupted by sin, the Bible says, Romans 8.22, uh, that the whole creation groans together in pain. It's no secret that until we join God in his kingdom, life can and will get tough in different ways. And we see that in our passage, even before we meet our two characters, it's telling just by seeing the large crowds constantly gathered around Jesus, looking for help, digging for relief from whatever pain they're going through, that everyone is facing in their own tragedy, their own hopelessness, whatever shape or form it may take. And I think that's why we're actually introduced to, to Jairus and the woman, because these characters capture the two extremes in the community. They are two polar opposite life circumstances. A woman without a name who is sick, unwell physically, broke financially, outcast socially, and hopeless in her circumstances. And Jairus, a man who has everything, rich, highly esteemed, respected, successful, and powerful, and yet also hopeless in his circumstances which paints a picture for us that anyone and everyone is subject to tragedy in this world. Those of us who feel like we've been dealt bad cards in life, all the way to those of us who have worked hard for success. None of us are exempt from the grips of brokenness we live in in this world because of sin. And that's the truth. And I'm sure many of us can testify to that truth because of the things that we've experienced. Brothers and sisters, what is the hopelessness that you have experienced in your life? All the hurt and the burden that you are experiencing in your life right now. Maybe you've felt directionless before, or maybe you feel that way now. 
Maybe life hasn't gone according to plan or you're worried about what's to come in the future. Maybe you feel weighed down by the pressures of what you need to achieve, but you're not nearly where you wanted to be by now. Or perhaps you're wrestling with fears and hurts in the form of broken relationships or the loss of a loved one, whatever the case. This is the reality we live in. That tragedy, if it has not come for us yet, will come as we live in this broken world. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And even though no two struggles are the same, nor are they even, I know there are people in this community that have probably gone, gone through things that I couldn't even imagine what it feels like. I still think there is some comfort to know that we are not alone in our struggles and in our tragedies. And that's the point I want to try and make here. We're all broken. And I know a lot of us are Korean and culturally we suck at being real with our struggles and our weaknesses. Uh, if you know me, you know, I'm the worst at this. I'm always okay. And then six months later, I look back and I'm like, oh, I really wasn't okay. And maybe you're like that. But particularly in this unique season of COVID lockdown restrictions, where we're stuck at home with our thoughts and our insecurities and for the parents, our kids, if you are struggling right now, for whatever reason, I hope you know that it's okay not to be okay. Many of us are not okay right now. But you don't have to stay there. Because, and this is the second lesson that I think we can draw from our text today. Because there is always hope for the hopeless and peace for the peaceless in Jesus Christ. There is hope for the hopeless and peace for those who are without peace in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm preaching this to myself today as well. Today we met Jairus and the woman, both of whom had exhausted all their options. We find them both in deep hopelessness and despair, running to Jesus for help. They're hurting. And in Christ, the woman finds peace. And in Christ, Jairus' hope is restored. So here's my point, guys. Because Jesus can do for us what no other can do for us, let us run to Jesus with our burdens today. But there is always hope for the hopeless and peace for the peaceless in Jesus Christ. What is weighing down on your hearts today? What grips your minds and robs you of your joy today? What burdens do you carry in your life and in your heart right now? Why don't we take that to Jesus in prayer together today? And to encourage us, let me point out some incredible characteristics of Jesus that our passage shows us today. And the first is this, Jesus is always available for us. You know, even before this passage, there were lots of circumstances in which Jesus could have avoided the crowds. Stayed, he could have stayed home and, you know, stayed inside in his home or stayed in one place without moving, but always, and including this passage, we see Jesus constantly moving, making himself available for more people, to see more people, to help more people, and save more people. One commentator, he says it like this, and I love it. He says, this passage shows us the character of Jesus, that he is available, that he is accessible, and even interruptible for us. Look at how he, like, even on the way to see Jairus' daughter, he stops to help the woman. And he probably stopped many times to help many other people. That's Jesus. And in this way, even for us today, when we cry out 
and pray and reach out to God, we can trust in the available, accessible character of him who will come to our aid. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Friends, that is our God. He is ready and available to hear our cries. Let us run to him today. The second characteristic of Jesus we find in our passage today is this. Jesus honors even an imperfect faith. Jesus honors even an imperfect faith. You know, the interesting thing about Jairus and the woman was that, they, yes, they had faith, but their faith was actually imperfect. Their theology may not have been quite up to scratch. The woman believed that Jesus could, have, could help her, uh, but she thought she had to grab his garments. Now, this was a practice that was used by many healers in her time. False teachers claiming that they could heal people if they touched my garments. So she takes that, because she's heard that somewhere, and she thinks that's how Jesus can help her. And that's how she approaches Jesus. Jairus, Jairus believed that Jesus could help him, but there was a limit in his mind. Which is why when his daughter dies, Jairus' messenger says, well, why bother the teacher anymore? And he probably agreed. Or when Jesus arrives to Jairus' house, they had begun the funeral process already. Why? Because they thought it was over. They thought, Jesus, we can't help anymore. Their faith was clearly imperfect. And Jesus could have easily stood there correcting them and rebuking them. However, because these people approached Jesus with a humble and surrendered heart, we see Jesus honors their faith and helps them. How often do we stop ourselves from running to God because we're so caught up in trying to figure out the details of how to run to God well? What's the right way to do it? What's the wrong way to do it? How often do we waste our time and energy figuring out what the best way to word our prayer is and in so doing actually forget to run to him because it's just too stressful? Hear the words of God. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. And God says, if my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face then and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Sometimes I don't think God cares how. He just wants us to humble ourselves and come to him for help, and he will honor that. Brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that we can take the attitude of Jairus and the woman and Learn to humbly fall at his feet today and ask him for peace in our hearts and see what he does in our lives. And finally, we see in our passage that Jesus cares about all our needs. Jesus cares about all our needs. And I'll end with this. You know, often we don't run to God because we worry that our problems aren't big or spiritual enough for God to help, I think. But who says God doesn't care about those things? In our passage today, we see Jesus, though he was busy, he stops and he calls for the woman. He goes, who touched my garments? He calls to find the woman to relieve her of the guilt that she may carry in her heart for touching him as a, as a woman who was bleeding. Yes, she was healed. Yes, she found peace physically speaking, but Jesus wanted to grant her emotional peace as well. So he calls her out, comforts her, and allows for her to go in peace. And then we see John, uh, Jesus uh, raise, uh, raising a little girl from the dead. 
And rather than basking in the glory of people's praises, he says to the family in verse 43, hey guys, get her something to eat. She's hungry. And I love this. This is our savior, brothers and sisters. This is Jesus' character. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about our every needs. You know, we often stop ourselves from running to Jesus because we fear that our struggle is not great enough to ask God for help. Oh, you know, um, Jesus wouldn't care about this. It's hurting me, but Jesus wouldn't care about this. It's not worth taking it to him in prayer. But we see in our text today that that's just not how Jesus rolls. He is committed to our needs. He will provide for us and help us in our troubles. It's not always in the way that we picture it or want it. Right, Jairus would have probably preferred if his daughter didn't die, right? When, when his daughter died, he probably thought, Jesus, you failed me. It often isn't the way that we wanted, but nonetheless, Jesus does help us in our needs. And if we ever doubt him, we can ultimately see how committed Jesus is to our every needs on the cross and in the gospel. Because of his great love for us, he dealt with our greatest need right? Our salvation from sin and hell. And he bled and died on the cross that we might have life and life to the full, the Bible says. Here on earth in fragments, yes, but ultimately and perfectly in his kingdom for eternity. Brothers and sisters, that is our Jesus. So church, whether for your daily bread uh, or for your salvation from sin, I urge you again and I encourage you again to run to Jesus today. Particularly if there are burdens on your heart that you've carried for a long time, run to Jesus today for there is always hope for the hopeless and peace for the peaceless in Jesus Christ. And I hope that brings you guys some comfort today. And, and as a point of application, I want us to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we're not going to break off into discussion groups, but just kind of going off what we've been talking about in this time. I want us to take 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, we'll see, just to spend some time with God. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to play some music in the background. And I just want us to do some business with God right now. Please, the temptation will be to, you know, turn up, to stand up and, and leave and, and, and you know, not, not, not participate in this. But particularly if you are uh, struggling or hurting or feeling burden in your heart, I, I encourage you guys to, to really like spend this time with us. You can turn your videos off if, if it's awkward. Um, but here's the inspiration. Philippians 4, 67. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I encourage you guys, let's spend this time laying down our burdens, our fears, our hurts, our worries, our struggles before God. If you've buried it, let's take it out and let's just sit with it and face it together with God in this time. And let's just spend some time running to Jesus. If you are doing good and if you're, if you have, if you're not you know, struggling or have a burden right now, uh, I encourage you guys to spend this time praying for someone else in our community. Uh, I know many growth groups shared prayer points with each other. This is your time to pray for them. Um, let's do business with God together and seek hope in our hopelessness in Christ Jesus. Can we do that together?
Let's pray.